Yeah, welcome everyone to the groundlessness class on the six bardas of the contemplating the six bardas of the living. And uh, yeah, this is a great class. It's also an, uh, kind of the introductory class to the longer training in the death dying and beyond training, uh, where we cover a number of these topics uh, more in depth. But uh, we'll uh, kind of Yes, did, uh, we'll kind of start with um, uh, going over a general overview and uh, go a little uh, deeper. Also, we'll do some uh, practices so uh, people can kind of ground this in something they may be able to uh, continue uh, after this. And this uh, class is uh, independent also on its own. Uh, so you can utilize this um, without having to take the uh, longer training. Uh, so a couple of things about uh, overall uh, the topic. Uh, so the bardos is a, a top uh, term that uh, is coined from the Tibetan uh, Buddhist uh, literature, and it means uh, in between. And there are uh, six formal uh, bardos, which we'll go over. Uh, we'll kind of do that right now. And uh, But the way to think about that is, any period uh, that of time that you can delineate a start, uh, some kind of uh, um, continu continuation, and then some ending, uh, that would be considered a bardo or an in-between state. So right now we're in the bardo of the living. And what we'll do is we'll go over these different bardos and then I'll also uh, present uh, different practices that you can do uh, to practice them. Uh, the other way to think of these uh, bardos is as states of consciousness. So right now we're in the bardo of living. So that's from when you're born physically to when you pass uh, physically. And then uh, there's the bardo of meditation. So that's within uh, the bardo of living. So that would be any time you start a meditation session until you end that meditation session. And then uh, there's a third bardo that's also within the time that you're sort of uh, physically incarnated. And that would be the bardo of sleep and dreams. So that would be between when you um, fall asleep, uh, when you're dreaming, and then when you wake up. And so uh, from the sleep. So those uh, three bardos are, you could say the bardo of living in general, uh, so they're while you're physically incarnated. Then there are three bardos that would be considered uh, dur during the death or dying period and post uh, leaving the physical body. So there's the bardo of dying. So that actually occurs as soon as the soul or the consciousness is starting to uh, disincarnate or leave the body. It could be like when you first uh, recognize there's an illness uh, that, um, that will actually lead to one leaving their uh, physical body. Uh, but usually there's um, something that's happening within the soul or the consciousness that it's choosing to unwind or to uh, let go of the physical body. And then finally, when the consciousness leaves the physical body, that would be the end of the bardo of dying. 
then there's the bardo, what they call of the in-between state. And this is the bardo between when uh, you've left your physical body and uh, before you take a new incarnation. So that can be uh, incarnation into a physical body uh, in this broad definition of incarnation. It could be an incarnation into uh, some type of subtle body that exists like in a subtle realm. And like in the Tibetan tradition, there's things called the pure lands, which uh, are similar to uh, maybe a Christian uh, tradition um, definition of a heaven realm. Uh, so there's other realms that aren't necessarily physical uh, that one might incarnate into. So that's the uh, the bardo, the in-between state. And then finally, there's uh, a unique bardo called the bardo of dharmata, or the bardo of sort of the clear light. And this is actually occurring uh, during the bardo of dying. So the consciousness, which will go over the kind of physiology of that, the consciousness of the person or the soul hasn't uh, yet left the physical body, but has entered was considered like a ground state luminosity or the deepest state of consciousness. And uh, it happens for everyone. Uh, if you were to somewhat loosely apply this to other terminology that let's say is non-Buddhist, you could say that's almost like the uh, God state or a kind of non-dual divine state. Uh, but anyways, they ca call it the clear light of uh, death and the bard of dharmata. And uh, so that's a period where the consciousness is, hasn't left the physical body, but you have access to this very deep state of consciousness. And again, it happens for everyone. Uh, the question usually is whether one can recognize that ground state and then kind of hold themselves uh, in that ground state of consciousness uh, for however long a person chooses. And then if they're skilled or practiced with that, then they choose to leave that state uh, eventually. But during that time, one can uh, accelerate their consciousness or their conscious evolution. And the most of the Buddhist literature suggests that without having some practice in recognizing uh, that state, it may just happen too quickly. And then we're into the bardo of the in-between, meaning we leave our body and then we uh, continue to sort of be in the inner world, so to speak. So the framework right now is mostly uh, that I've uh, just presented is mostly from the kind of the Buddhist uh, teachings, uh, particularly the Tibetan Buddhist, but we'll fill that in or expand that from other traditions and other resources, such as the near death literature, uh, esoteric Christianity, uh, just so that you have a more full understanding. The idea uh, coming from this more eclectic or hermetic approach is by having more views, esoteric views around the subject, let's say of consciousness and the subtle states, including uh, in between lifetimes, as well as leaving uh, the body, then one can kind of get a, a more full uh, picture. And to not keep one's view too rigid would be the suggestion 
because uh, that has some practical implications also for uh, this process, as we can, as we know, most also in our physical incarnation, uh, just looking at other people first, uh, you can tell when they have very uh, set views, uh, there's kind of an energy around that. But uh, one of the take home messages that we'll get into more is after we've uh, left our physical body, uh, which all of us will experience, maybe have experienced many times, uh, during that period where we're just uh, consciousness and in our subtle bodies, then what comes to the fore is really um, our thought form patterns. So we tend to have very rigid thought form patterns. Uh, that's sort of what we live in. That's kind of the environment we live in uh, temporarily. And so um, depending on the type or the feel of those thought form patterns, uh, we may be confined by them, or they may be useful patterns if we recognize that they're temporary. Uh, but a lot of subconscious patterns tend not to be seen as fluid. We tend to kind of sometimes be engrossed in those patterns. And uh, we'll talk about that. There's something called astral unraveling, which is a period um, that's uh, post leaving the physical body where we're mostly in our own thought form and emotional patterns and are kind of releasing them. And uh, we can use, we can uh, work on those now, uh, but it's just uh, something to keep in mind um, as what we can work on for both ourselves as well as for others, as well as helping others who've passed. Uh, so we'll, we'll um, uh, continue with kind of to flesh these uh, six bardos out and also uh, with the practices. Uh, we'll take a short break and just to map this out, we'll have a short, a short uh, transmission, which will help um, kind of empower our own practices, mostly for uh, the practice of when we uh, leave our body, uh, what's the best place uh, to leave? Like what are the best practices to do? and how um, in terms of the energetics or channels of our body uh, and our consciousness, where is the best place to leave? And we've, in some ways, people who've done some of the meditations together or who have been meditating on their own in different schools or traditions will find a lot of that um, maybe uh, in common uh, and useful. And then you can see how a lot of uh, energy practices, um, actually maybe already death practices that will help facilitate uh, uh, leaving your body as well as being conscious outside the body. Uh, so we'll kind of start there uh, on a practical note. So what are the, in general, uh, practices that are very helpful uh, to kind of incorporate or think about in terms of working with uh, these bardo states? So all of them have to do with different subtle states of consciousness and being aware during those subtle states of consciousness. So one of the most um, helpful things that you can do even now for someone who's passed, uh, whether that's recent or even um, in our linear time, might seem like a long time ago or anywhere in between, but uh, usually the uh, teaching is there's a very acute time where uh, you can communicate with those who have passed, at least in the form of their previous incarnation. 
but really we can always communicate to all souls at all times um it's just like they've probably they may have gone on and changed uh, their uh, consciousness and form but that's usually 49 days it's both possibly symbolic but it can be used on a practical level and so the idea here is that when we leave our physical body uh, we become like uh, maybe it's symbolic but also somewhat accurate a hundred times more psychic and intelligent you could say and that goes for uh, this is not something like developed it's just the fact of the mechanics perhaps because the physical body is a you know is the physical realm is a lower vibration than the subtle realms like the pranic realm or the astral realm which is the emotional mental realm and then higher realms after that like the causal spiritual and then these non-dual uh, states of consciousness so when you pass from your physical body and you're in those other realms and we'll kind of map those out and that would be the bardo of the in-between state uh, they call it like they call it in that tradition a bardo body or you could say like a, a mental body uh, you're all of a sudden much more sensitive it doesn't matter how much spiritual practice you did for, for example so that can be very helpful because those who are still incarnated and who are very close to the person you can basically they read your mind very easily now whether we can read their mind <laughs> is another question so that's why maybe some of these practices might seem we're not sure whether they're having an effect or not but um so we're kind of talking right now about what kind of practices you can do for someone in the in-between state um acutely that's 49 days but it really can occur at any uh, point in time uh, from when they pass from the physical body so since they're more sensitive people might have heard of this book that's become much more popular in the spiritual literature in the west called the tibetan book of the dead uh it's somewhat of a now become so popular that title but it was probably misnamed um in, in terms of the translation but the mechanics of that particularly um for this is that you can read spiritual literature to someone who's passed to accelerate their evolutionary consciousness so um so this is kind of the first uh main thing now you could read the tibetan book of the dead and if you were interested in that there are many um translations the one that i've kind of been following a lot because i've studied with this person is uh robert thurman's i may have shown this another um <clears throat> classes but this is one version and he has now a audio a, um, audio book on it in case you wanted to uh listen to it or even play it um and then I'm, i'll i'll kind of put out some other uh translations but the idea here is um so you could read the tibetan book of the dead uh if you thought it was appropriate to the person like they either they were uh, open to uh, various spiritualities or let's say they may have been uh, had some resonance with Tibetan tradition um, or you could find another spiritual literature from another uh, school or that was closely or more closely aligned like a Christian or Judaic uh, the idea here is that the Tibetan Book of the Dead is um, when you study it is speaking about non-dual states of consciousness 
So in some ways, uh, even though it may have some of the trappings or the cultural aspect of the Tibetan Buddhist uh, so-called religion, uh, a lot of it is talking about universal states of consciousness that are non-dual. Some of that's why some of it, when you read it, uh, we may not even understand. We may not be completely at that level of consciousness to fully understand it. Like we understand the translation, the English words, but we might not uh, exactly understand what they're trying to refer to. But the thing is, the um, the being who your loved one or whoever it might be you're reading it to, uh, who's in the in between state, because they're much more. They're both both sharper and more psychic, ninety or hundred times more. Uh, they could, they can understand uh, the level that you're referring to, even if you don't understand it. So you could accelerate their consciousness. You could basically enlighten them, and so they call this um, liberation by hearing uh, in the tradition. So the bardo being is listening to what you're saying. And, uh, and uh, basically can get liberated, so to speak, can become, let's say, accelerated in their consciousness development. Uh, so that's one uh, aspect. Now, this kind of esoteric idea of, of reading uh, spiritual literature to the, um, the beings who are in the in-between is not limited to the, uh, let's say, in Eastern traditions. Uh, so Rudolf Steiner had also referred to uh, this practice so it's, uh, which is a more Western esoteric tradition. So, uh, uh, so different clairvoyants or different uh, adepts or initiates who um, have that kind of ability to perceive, uh, let's say a, a being who's in the in-between state or do, who doesn't have physical bot, a physical vehicle, they're able to see how that might benefit them. So uh, just to kind of, uh, kind of flesh that out. Now there is a modern version. Uh, this is another uh, resource, and I saw I know some people have studied with the Clairvision School. So the Clairvision School was a meditation school and is a meditation school that was started by Samuel Sagan, and uh, he was a very high level initiate. And they put out a program on the death and dying. They call it Death: The Great Journey, and you can get it without having taken any other classes beforehand on their website. And I'll put a, a link to that. Uh, death, the great journey. It's one of their knowledge tracks. So kind of an independent one that you don't have to have been following anything else. And uh, they do talk about this practice about uh, uh, speaking to those who've passed. And uh, they actually have a kind of a modern version of the Book of the Dead that they put in that's not exactly linked to their tradition, but is maybe more uh, universal. But um, you could uh, maybe from your own intuition, or you can adapt this uh, for those who you might be helping. Uh, you're just finding spiritual literature that is um, from a very high level of consciousness, because it's the level of consciousness that the, the person can benefit from. Uh, so that's one practice. Uh, the second practice is, and this can happen at various states um, of those uh, bardos that we are mentioning. Uh, but it can happen within the 49 days. Um, and also when the person, yeah, anytime within those 49 days is that the, um, the being can follow your consciousness. So if you're used to meditating uh, and then being at a very high level of consciousness, 
consciousness meaning just being aware uh, being still kind of tuning in to higher realms and then you uh, kind of just connect with them just through intention then they can follow your consciousness to those higher uh, realms uh, just by resonance almost like a, a gps resonance uh, just by uh, you meditating holding that um, state of awareness and thinking of them and so they're kind of just tracking your consciousness so so since they're already in resonance with you very aware of your consciousness they can follow your consciousness to those higher states uh, of course that depends on uh, people having you know meditated or practiced at those levels of consciousness but you become now sort of somewhat of a guide or you're becoming the guide uh, rather than reading to them and this will get into other practices that we're, we'll talk about like soul conduction which is what we uh, covered, like the, it takes a little bit of um, some time to actually uh, train that, which is what the, the couple of days uh, death and dying training is about. But I will go through that just so people have an idea and people may already be doing that on their own. Um, a lot of people have done that in other incarnations. And so uh, they may already be natural naturals at it. So, um, so that's a soul conduction um yeah maybe i'll just say a couple words here now just because that has to do with this in-between state so just as a review uh you can read to those who've passed uh probably within any time uh but of course we're kind of talking about this 49 day period uh you can say uh, this i didn't talk, say but uh, you can say mantras there's certain mantras any mantras that you may feel very attuned to like Omani Padme Hum or uh, any prayers, doesn't have to be in the Tibetan tradition. I'm just kind of using that as a, a framework right now. Again, anything that resonates at a very high level, they track you, they follow you. Uh, so that's the first thing. And then the second one is that they can, you can dedicate some time where you're in a meditative state, you connect with them and then they follow your state of consciousness. Now, um, Soul conduction is a little bit of a unique uh, skill and for a unique condition. So there is the possibility that when someone passes from their physical body, for the most part, uh, people, uh, souls or consciousness will move to the proper states of consciousness and realms. Uh, there's a lot of guidance in the inner world, uh, teachers, um, angelic beings, guides, and it's not like they suddenly pop up when a person passes. Like uh, most people here, probably everyone here, consciously knows their guides, or at least have been following their higher self. And um, so, whether you're incarnated or excarnated, you it would it's sort of like not a difference uh, for a lot of people here consciously. Uh, it might be just even easier, like I said, like when you're out of your body, because <laughs> you don't have the heaviness of the physical body as a um, kind of an impediment to the communication. But let's say a person, you're not sure, or let's say you were called to help someone, you don't even know who they were from a personality level. Uh, it's not like all of a sudden, because they've passed all of a sudden, now they're being introduced to guides. Those guides were helping them throughout their entire life. Uh, mostly, let's just say someone didn't believe in angels or in, in spiritual beings or any consciousness outside of um, like something that they saw physically, which is very easy to live that way now. 
uh, because we have a very strong emphasis on what's called scientific materialism or, or the sense that what's real is the physical world and um, anything non-physical is either due to having something physical or doesn't really exist um, in, in a real way, the physical world. So let's say someone has that worldview. When they move into the in-between, in between, uh, there'll be guides and angels and beings there to help them, uh, ancestors who've passed, who are on the other side, kind of looking over us, looking over them. So for the most part, um, people are taken care of, souls are you know taken care of, as well as they have their higher self. Now, there are possibilities, and this is kind of like where healers come in, uh, where people who are maybe are more dedicated to this kind of work, and I, like I mentioned, you may have done this in other lifetimes, and in the shamanic tradition, it's called soul conduction. So it is possible. I wouldn't say it's the majority, but we can also talk a little bit about what um, certain initiates have been seeing uh, more in modern times, too, uh, that uh, the soul kind of gets lost, meaning it doesn't uh, continue on its um, proper trajectory in the inner world. And for the most part in the shamanic map, they call that getting sort of stuck in the middle world. So there's basically three worlds in the shamanic uh, worldview. Uh, and these, this is like a map of the inner territories. And so there's the middle world, which is basically the inner territories or the inner consciousness of the physical universe. So like if, if you went to um, like a star, that's known or even unknown, but it's physical star. You went there in your inner journey. You're still in the middle world, even though it's very you know, far away, so to speak, from the earth, because it's it has a physical, um, uh, you're kind of going to the inner aspect of its physical, of something physical. And then there's two other areas that are kind of beyond space time. They call that the upper world and the lower world. And uh, for the most part, just to say the lower world isn't hell or Hades or even um, necessarily like the underworld, it's just another place that they've mapped out that is beyond space time, uh, but it's no longer anchored to the physical uh, per se. So for the most part in this map of these areas, and of course, this is a superimposed map uh, from our mental consciousness to, to kind of tune in to these different frequencies of consciousness, you could say, or realms. The uh, When a person leaves their physical body, they quickly will move into the upper or lower world, into these kind of realms in the shamanic worldview. And to stay around the middle world too long afterwards is not the normal case. So some, some souls can or consciousness can stay around the middle world for, for a number of reasons, which we can go over. But to just to say, so that would be kind of being lost in the middle world after one's past. Now, um, you may, the reasons that might happen is uh, a being may not feel like uh, they had completed uh, things. They may be still emotionally attached to a certain, uh, to certain people, uh, a certain situation, or a certain location. Um, like, like, for example, in a war uh, situation. So they may have died in a very um, tragic or kind of painful way. And sometimes that will lock a soul into a certain uh, location, astral location that's anchored to the, the physical 
um, place, like uh, for example, battlefields. So, uh, so those are just a, a very short list, just to give you a flavor, an idea. So what the practitioner can do, like I mentioned, maybe people already are doing this, uh, even without any training, is uh, particularly at night, you might be doing this too, if you're not conscious of it, is that you can um, just be trained, like you know how to journey uh, to find the soul in the inner world and just to ask it whether it uh, needs any help, like whether it is in the middle world and, and your spiritual guides or you know, like a power animal or a guide of yours, the practitioners usually lets you know also. And then if they are fine, if they're not in the middle world, then they're, that means they're fine. They're, they're with the help of their guides. Uh, they're continuing with their uh, journey. Um, but uh, if you find them in the middle world, then you kind of can help them or you know how to take them to places in the upper or lower world so that they can continue on with their uh, journey. Uh, and it's not that you have to take them all the way to where they're specifically going in their evolutionary process. It's almost like you, you know a, a train station in the upper world that you can drop them off, uh, that their guides are there at that uh, you know, train station and they can continue on. Or if they are uh, destined to go to the lower world, you know, you know a place in the lower world to take them so that they can uh, meet up with their other spiritual help and continue. So that's called soul conduction. It's also called psychopomp. Psychopomp uh, is another term you might find, psychopomp. Um, so psycho meaning the soul and pomp meaning like a movement or like moving or to go. Uh, and um, so now a little bit about what I mentioned, like what certain spiritual initiates who are kind of, let's say, very expert at going out of body are seeing is that actually uh, that's uh, needed a lot now, at least practitioners uh, who are incarnated, uh, who are able to do that uh, as a service, uh, whether it's within your practice or once you learn that, you know, you could just do that. No one needs to ask you in the physical world to do it. You're like you could just like a go to your, go out you know, right here in the middle world of wherever you're living and see if there are any souls who might be lost. And a lot of times there are. Uh, and um, what's happened so far is just to flesh that out is uh, uh, predominantly what I was mentioning with this worldview and um, of uh, things being material, being what's real. So, uh, you know, we have that strong kind of thought form uh, of the modern world. And some people that's their predominant thought form uh, and they haven't had so many experiences uh, of let's say non-physical reality, uh, even though sometimes it breaks through, it tends to just break through whether it's dreams or some deja vu or, or spiritual contact that they can't explain. But uh, it's very possible to go through a physical incarnation without having spent a lot of time in a non-physical reality. So the only problem with that, that a lot of initiates see is that uh, then when the person passes, uh, they may be looking, they, first, they don't know they're dead. Uh, so they were thinking that when they pass from their physical body, that it would be all over. Like that was kind of the, the, the dogma or the idea that was being held in their mind. And so um, when they do pass from their physical body and they find their consciousness is still surviving 
they don't even recognize that they've passed. So they will actually look for things that are still physical, which keeps them in the middle world because the middle world is like, it's a little bit like a replica at the, at the lower astral is very close to what the physical world looks like. Although there may be a couple of things that are like shifted. So you may have been in that state, like um, either in the lucid dream state, or if you do do out of body travel, you may have gone to the very close, uh, the astral world is very close to the physical and it will look very similar to the physical. Uh, like when I was at Yale, I was doing a lot of uh, out-of-body practices and then uh, I fell asleep and then I was down at the campus where I, where I was, my lab, where I you know, would go to for my laboratory and uh, everything looked right except like a couple of things were reversed and uh, and uh, that's how I knew I wasn't exactly in, you know, in the physical anymore. And so like, like a door, everything looks right, but the door isn't in, in the right corner. It's like in the, in the opposite corner. And so you're near the uh, astral, the physical, but not exactly. Now, as you get into higher realms that are maybe still close to the, the that are anchored to the physical, but now you're getting into more and more subtle planes and you may explore this if you do a lot, you know, do explore out-of-body travel, then things really start getting fluid and may no longer have any reflection um, to the physical world. So anyways, so a, a being who's just passed may not know they've died, then they stay close to the physical because they think they're still alive, they think, and they stay close to people they've known or, or environments that they know. Uh, so more and more um, initiates are seeing that this at least is a maybe an initial case for a lot of beings or possible. And so it's very helpful to have uh, initiates or practitioners like yourself who can just either, either through service or for your loved ones or for people who might ask you to be able to just check to see if uh, you know, uh, souls who have left need any help. Uh, so that's one of the cases um, that, that kind of on a more global scale. Uh, and of course, uh, I'll just say one or more two, uh, one or two more things about this, and we'll just since we're doing a little bit more of a survey, uh, move on from here. But the other thing, of course, are um, like in disasters or where people uh, die suddenly, uh, unexpectedly, then they may be disoriented for the first um, period, let's say this forty-nine day period. So it, it's uh, helpful to be able to, uh, as a service, to go check uh, on those um, uh, sort of events uh, or if that situation had occurred and then be able to kind of soul conduct uh, people uh, if they need that help. And uh, now the only other unique thing about that is uh, a soul could be, have left their physical body, gotten lost, or uh, still have a lot of attachments to something in the physical, whether that's a relationship, which can be a lot of the cases or an environment, and then they attach to a person. And then that becomes a little bit more in depth. Uh, that would be con considered uh, like a, a, what's called a possession in shamanism. That's where an, a non-physical um, incarnated, uh, uh, previously incarnated uh, being is now sort of very staying very close to a person or to a place, like a, sometimes we call it a haunting 
what we just call it, uh, you know, like a, a ghost or a soul in, a, in an environment. And so in that case, um, uh, that, would, that technique in shamanism is called depossession. And as you can kind of see, it requires sort of two skills. One is that you uh, need the soul conducting skill, and then you need the skill or some training in how to address the soul to detach them from either the person, the living person, or the environment. You basically, in um, like there, I have been trained in that uh, style of uh, shamanic practice, and uh, in the way that they taught us, which was like a very like a compassionate uh, depossession, you're basically doing two healings, like you're doing a healing for the person who has the attachment, the physical person as well as the soul that sort of has um, you know, gotten lost and attached. So you have to convince the soul that this, uh, who they're attached to, most of the time you're convincing them that that's not who, it's not them. So a lot of times they think it's them uh, because again, they, they don't know they've died. So, um, but there can be other reasons. And then once they agree to be helped, then you do the soul conduction for them. So you have to kind of disattach them and then you have to soul conduct the soul. And then, of course, the person who came to you physically uh, needs a healing or needs a strengthening. So when we're in our full physical, uh, spiritual power, we tend not to get those attachments, kind of have that kind of um, a bit like a pranic energy, but it's also kind of a spiritual vitality. Uh, we just don't have the, you know, it's a, we have our natural spiritual immune system. So when we, in shamanism, when our power goes down for whatever reason, uh, then we're able to be attached, so to speak. And so you usually, as part of the healing, will do either a power animal retrieval or a soul retrieval for that person who uh, came to you uh, or was brought to you, the physical person who had the attachment. Okay, let's talk a little bit about soul conduction and which kind of, uh, that was covering the in-between uh, state. Uh, we will also cover um, maybe towards the end um, or at some point uh, the reincarnation process, which sometimes isn't covered as much. Uh, but uh, so I'll say a couple words here about that. Um, so again, this is only one view. I try to uh, present other views so that it's kind of more rounded out. Uh, if people were interested or if you've already read this literature, uh, Michael Newton's work, which is mostly uh, hypnosis uh, in between lifetimes. So there's a number of uh, also researchers who do that type of work. Another one that kind of is linked more to this like Arcturian or uh, not to say Arcturian, but um, Dolores Cannon, who also recently, not recently, but passed she's no longer in, in her physical body, probably very accessible in the spiritual world though. She wrote a number of books um, about her work in between regressing people in between lifetimes. And most of her books are just highlights of thousands of cases. So most of her cases were simply very helpful therapeutically. And then a lot of times, or um, in a, actually a few number of cases, but she's had so many, they would present very interesting material, like uh, like that they were ET beings, for example, who are visiting the earth. 
and the, or incarnated in the earth. So she had this book called The Three Waves of Volunteers. So when she was doing a lot of regressions, she found that a lot of people had incarnated from different realms that we would consider like extraterrestrial realms or just like uh, non-human realms. Uh, some of them were like in a God realm or in a non-dual state already, awakened state. Uh, some were just uh, didn't really need to incarnate, uh, but chose to incarnate starting in the 40s. So there were, and there were three waves to, because they saw that the uh, planet Earth would need help. So like the first wave incarnate, and, and a lot of these people didn't know at all from a personality level that they had made this decision and they were kind of suffering because they were sort of their vibration was so different than let's say the dense physical. And that's why they found their way to um, Dolores Cannon. But the first wave around the 40s, 50s and 60s, uh, for the most part, they were just holding frequency. Like they weren't necessarily healers, they weren't necessarily even doing something spiritual. It was more that they held a really high frequency and like they could be in McDonald's and just being holding a frequency when they were getting a sandwich or something and that would help the environment. Then there was another um, group that was like 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, probably to close to the 2000s. And then another group from the 2000s um, up onwards. And so they were, and these, so they were all volunteers so-called to come to the planet. So but maybe, maybe people here resonate with that, or uh, if you have, haven't checked that book out, it might be very uh, helpful to understand a lot of your experiences or experiences of your loved ones who might, you know, be, uh, have something very similar in their soul plan. But again, she would just, um, they didn't necessarily know those things from personality level, and then uh, she would regress them. And these decisions were all made in between, so in the bardo in between. So I'm just presenting that, so it's somewhat like a different, uh, well, it's just an added view to the Tibetan view, a more modern research view. And then I mentioned first Michael Newton, who kind of opened up, I guess, publicly this area of research. Uh, he wrote The Destiny of Souls, and uh, it's very, very interesting material. And it, it does fit with the Tibetan tradition, which, you know, is, is 100 year, a couple of hundred of years old. So it's sort of like that's a modern research into these states of consciousness. But um, uh, it, there, just to kind of say some things to add to this, like in between lives, he would see that we would meet a council. Like he, um, like he has a whole chapter on the fact that the soul is doing a very conscious and from a soul level planning of their next incarnation and kind of uh, looking at possible future lifetimes um, and uh, somewhat trying them out. You can't like fully uh, try them all out, but sort of looking at what the pattern would be and then making from a soul level, which probably stays somewhat unconscious until someone starts to awaken in that in incarnation to these you know, uh, different realms or does um, uh, some type of uh, self uh, or some hypnosis sessions uh, where they're altered uh, in their state of consciousness to remember. Uh, but there's uh, various um, possibilities that one can choose. And, um, and there's just contrast this, what, why we're bringing this up is now we're talking about the bardo of reincarnating. So if you choose to reincarnate into another physical incarnation or to maybe another realm. Uh, so 
So these are like maybe resources you can explore for just to even get an idea of what that's like. Now, um, from the Tibetan world, uh, just to kind of come back to that framework, uh, there's kind of, uh, to broadly put it, there's kind of two ways you can reincarnate, assuming that you would come back into a physical body, which is not the only possibility. It's one is like an unconscious reincarnating, and that's what they call samsara. And some some of this gets lost uh, in understanding, like what does uh, you know becoming awakened mean, and what does uh, samsara mean or nirvana, and so called. So there's uh, somewhat of a more simplistic idea that if you are enlightened, that you would you would never come back to uh, incarnate again. I'm not saying people that's what they people think. But there might be that sense that, oh, you kind of reach this destination and then you're in this higher realm. And then, uh, so then everyone here who's incarnated is can't be in that state. Uh, or that um, if you're in, incarnated, that somehow you return to samsara, so to speak, or to this suffering realm, which, you know, there is this kind of idea in uh, Tibetan Buddhism. So those are, are kind of, there are probably misconceptions. So I try to maybe present this uh, idea here to clarify that. So you could um, come to stabilize that awakened state of consciousness uh, that I mentioned that um, is available. It's actually available right now, um, but it's very much available, let's say, also when you fall asleep at deep sleep, which we'll talk about a little bit later, that's the bardo of sleeping. Uh, but back to kind of this bardo of uh, in between. Uh, particularly in the Bardo of Dharmata, I mentioned the clear light of death. You kind of get this big, this window opens up where you can kind of really stabilize the ground state. Now, let's say you come to that uh, full consciousness of the ground state. Uh, first is you don't stay there indefinitely. Um, these very subtle states of consciousness that certain yogis or meditators or, or just uh, practitioners can reach a lot of times some being will come eventually and say, you know, that's that's not the end. <laughs> because sometimes they are also under the idea that uh, enlightenment like means you just kind of stay in these very high vibrational realms. They'll kind of bring you back out. And um, so, but the thing about rebirth on that is that you is conscious versus unconscious rebirth. So unconscious rebirth means you kind of fall asleep. This is not the Tibetan worldview on this, so it's not, this is not the only way to think of it. You sort of go unconscious during the in-between state. And then what puts you into another incarnation is not like a conscious choice. You're not saying kind of like, I'm going to go into this uh, family here or uh, that family over there uh, for certain reasons. It's more that you have certain karmic um, propensities, like connections to beings, and you have certain karmic dispositions, um, sort of they call it like karmic winds or patterns. And then those take over, or really you can think of them as habits. Uh, so whether they're positive or negative, they're kind of the more they're the deep subconscious habits. They just take all that combination takes you to a certain rebirth. So that would be kind of a, a unconscious rebirth. Now, um, we'll get to this, and uh, some people have already seen other programs that I've sort of um, facilitated, but there are way to, ways to practice that now to make that period conscious, at least from a Tibetan practitioner uh, point of view, and those are the dream and sleep yoga uh, practices. So um, 
and just to say one or two words about that, the reason that's helpful that you do like lucid dreaming practice or um, like what they call clear light yoga or sleep yoga is those states of consciousness that we enter every time we fall asleep, typically like at night, uh, are almost homologous or the same states of consciousness that are in the bardo of the in-between and also the bardo of dharmata. So you can kind of practice being aware during these very subtle states of consciousness. Uh, pretty much you have a dress rehearsal every time you go to sleep. And then it's very likely that that habit will take over when you've left your body. And then you, you kind of wake up in the bardo in between. And then you're sort of in the driver's seat, like you can consciously choose your next rebirth. And so that's the other possibility is that you can consciously choose your next rebirth. And that would somewhat with, in a very loose way would be considered like an awakened way of re, um, kind of being reborn. And um, so you probably may have done that in this incarnation. Uh, the, the examples they give of those beings are like what they call tokus in the tradition, Tibetan tradition. And so whenever you see, like they say, like this person was in a reincarnation of this teacher before, like the Dalai Lama is called the 14th Dalai Lama. So he's, that soul supposedly had consciously been tracked and reborn consciously 14 times into 14 different incarnations. And there's other, um, of course, um, uh, types of tolkus in that tradition. And so, um, so that would be a kind of a conscious uh, rebirth. So uh, the idea here is that in the inner world, in the in-between, you enter that awakened state of consciousness and they kind of have this mapped out and labeled. So it could be helpful. The, what, what's helpful with the map is um, not that to become rigid about it, but it may just say like, oh, I, I think I had been in that state of consciousness that's what's helpful with these different maps uh, rather than making them uh, rigid. Uh, and so like I said, um, it's good to know a lot of these maps, but not to become over rigid on a practical level because it sometimes it basically will shape your reality in the in-between. So if you're good with kind of having a lot of different maps and you can like navigate easily through um, what the reality of these different states of consciousness are without getting locked into a certain way of looking at things. Anyways, um, so for example, if you're expecting to, this is not good or bad, it probably is good, uh, see Jesus when you pass, uh, uh, that thought form will resonate you to that dimension or to that being, or at least to beings who also hold that or that vibration. Um, and so that can be very helpful when you're navigating through infinite possibilities. Uh, you know, that's kind of where you want to be. Um, but anyways, back to the, the map here. So the awakened state of consciousness in the in-between, they call it the Dharmakaya state. It's sort of like what we might call in a map I've been using a lot in the classes, the divine dimension where you're non-dual with God or source or love. And so you're in the allness, the oneness, the emptiness, the voidness, um, and you're still awake. You're still aware. That, that's the whole point. Now, from that state, let's say you're disembodied. You don't have a body anymore. Uh, what I said is um, it's not indefinite. So within the Tibetan tradition, the idea is uh, you're kind of ingraining this idea that you're always going to help sentient beings become awakened 
so you're never going to kind of like um, take a holiday off, <laughs> so to speak. So you wouldn't just hang out in that void state because you will, because you're super conscious and super psychic, you're also going to be aware of beings who are suffering. And, um, and because you've taken what they call the Bodhisattva vow, which is another imprint, uh, it doesn't only have to be Tibetan. Like I, there's like in this uh, class that I facilitate called the Initiates of Mani, which is a Mani's more been in the esoteric Christian line. Uh, you know, there's initiates who are dedicated to continuing to help being. So it's not necessarily only one culture. So you remember that thought form. And what happens is, uh, or that vow, you could say, is you come out of that state, that very high level of vibration, and you take on what they call the Sambhogakaya, they call it the beatific body. We could think of it as like a really cool astral body. So you're now in the astral realm. And a lot of times these bodies will be um, subtle bodies that you've created in your imagination in, in these traditions. So like in the Tibetan tradition, maybe you've chosen a certain Buddha figure that you're very connected to, that you've been initiated into. Like, for example, you could be Medicine Buddha, you could be White Tara or any of the Taras, Green Tara, you could be Yamantaka, who's like this very fierce uh, Buddha. Uh, so. Anyways, you've been like imagining that in your daily practice. So it's almost like this vehicle is there uh, in the subtle world, in the astral world, or you just remember it, like because you've been imagining it. And we'll get back to this uh, as a form of practice. Like what you imagine a lot will be in the astral world. It's a way to create your astral reality, uh, particularly if you wanted to set it up before you leave this body. Of course, it's there now for you but uh, there's a way to kind of create an astral objects, astral bodies uh, and astral environments um, that you have access to between lifetimes. Anyway, so you take on this astral body because you wanna help more beings and then you can help beings who are in the astral world. But the issue with that uh, is that you realize that uh, you're also limited in how much you can help because like for now, like now maybe people here are sensitive, like they can tell if a spiritual being comes into their room, uh, they can somewhat communicate to that spiritual being. But for the most part, you know, that's kind of a developed clairvoyance or telepathy. And a lot of people in the physical body, they, they don't have full access to spiritual beings like that. So they can't be really fully helped by those beings. Maybe they can give ideas while they're dreaming or give them subconscious thought forms to help them out or encourage them. But, you know, for the most part, they're not communicating directly. So from that state, you then think I, it would be more helpful if I took on a physical body. And then you'll choose to reincarnate into a physical body that is, uh, let's say, most ideal for uh, both mm, helping people. And then if you haven't quite finished your own awakening, where you could, let's say, in the Tibetan tradition, like find the Dharma still, like uh, because you're still highly clairvoyant, you can kind of almost scan out. And this is where it matches a little bit of what Michael Newton's work was saying. Like you can kind of scan out what are the possible rebirths and then you kind of choose that uh, consciously. And then they call that the Nirmanakaya, they call it the emanation body. So you've uh, chosen to reincarnate into a physical body, like a physical vehicle, so that you can um, you know, best serve the planet, so to speak. 
And uh, so that's kind of, that would be a conscious, uh, at least within the Tibetan tradition, how an awakened being or an enlightened being um, fully uh, reincarnates. Um, so uh, we'll talk more about that. And there's certain practices in the dream state that you can do. I just kind of mentioned it here so people have heard it. Uh, and then the other thing about these types of teachings, they say, is that, um, uh, and you can do this with any type of spiritual teachings. It's kind of a little offshoot of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. But, um, and I've mentioned this in other classes, is that uh, when you listen to these um, kind of, or just discuss with people, or hear anything about like bardo teachings, or read about them in while you're incarnated, even if you don't really do anything with them, what will happen is in between, uh, like when you leave your physical body, and in between um, lifetimes, you'll, because you're again, super psychic and super intelligent, <clears throat> because you kind of have, have dropped the physical vehicle, uh, you'll remember, you'll remember like these states, and it will help you to awaken, like wake up. You'll like be, oh yeah, I, I remember like I'm, I'm in this uh, bar of Dharmata right now, or, and, or I'm in the in-between state. Uh, so you'll remember, and then you can become conscious and choose things consciously. So that's another benefit. But um, back to this kind of um, awakens way of um, being reborn. <clears throat> you can do this in meditation. It is a very formal, like a high level practice in Tibetan Buddhism, but I'll kind of just give you the nutshell. You can do it in meditation or you can do it when you're sleeping. They call it the three mixings. So let's say you're meditating. Uh, let's say your, your awareness is above your head and you enter uh, during that state, the clear light, meaning you enter sort of this very deep, uh, you, you actually have it right now. You're just uh, aware and present is really uh, that Dharmakaya state, that awakened state. And then, so you are in the Dharmakaya or you just, in the beginning, you imagine, oh, okay, I'm in the um, non-dual awakened state of consciousness. So you're hanging out there in your meditation, cool. And what you're trying to do is replicate what would happen when you're in between lifetimes. Um, so you're laying down what's called the imprint. So when you've done this a thousand times this way in practice, it'll be likely you'll do that in between lifetimes. So what happens is you're in the non-dual state, maybe you're above your head somewhere. You're just kind of being aware, bliss, very blissed out. Then you say, oh, okay, in this state, I couldn't really help that many people. So I'm going to go into the astral state. And then you imagine yourself like in some astral form. Now it doesn't have to be a Tibetan deity, unless for some reason you're connected to a certain deity that, that you want to kind of be. Um, it's kind of like having, you're like choosing a car. I, I'm making these kind of light and colloquial, but like you can choose to be a Lamborghini, you can choose to be a Jaguar, you could, you know, whatever is your, you feel would be most beneficial. But you then choose uh, like an astral form, like an astral body. And the, the reason that's helpful in the Tibetan tradition, it's like a, an awakened uh, Buddha form, is you kind of take on those qualities. Like that is a, a universal pattern that's sort of been laid down. So if you kind of, you know, it's possible you could choose to be Mother Mary or, or something, some version of that in another tradition, or uh, could be even some kind of very strong feminine, like Kali or something but you choose an astral form. And then this is all in your meditation, kind of when you're still above your head. 
And so now you're this astral form. Let's say you're Medicine Buddha, for example. And so you, now you're mis meditating that you're Medicine Buddha. And so you're kind of in that astral form. You're just kind of laying down, almost like an imagination, almost like role-playing this. And, it, and it's still above your head. And then finally, you make this decision. You're kind of practicing this decision-making. Okay, now I'm going to reincarnate so that I can really help uh, as many people in the physical world as possible. And then in the meditation, what you do is you imagine yourself, you know, when I say come back to your body and like move your fingers and toes, you imagine that um, Buddha figure or that astral body, whatever you've imagined, merging with your physical body. And then you're now kind of like in the Tibetan tradition, you would actually, if you've been initiated as met into medicine Buddha, you in your practice, you're actually imagining yourself as medicine Buddha, like you're an emanation of medicine Buddha once you get initiated into that. So then you've merged the astral medicine Buddha with your physical body. And then you're kind of now like the medicine Buddha, um, you know, um, in this form. But that kind of merging from the astral form back into your physical body when you're ending the meditation, that is the replica of getting reborn. Because a lot of times what they see is um, uh, the way it usually happens physiologically, energetically, uh, <clears throat> is that the bardo being, when it incarnates, sees the father and mother making love, their future father and mother, and goes down through the father's um, uh, basically crown chakra, down their central channel, uh, out his penis and then gets reborn into the mothers. That's how their consciousness follows. I mean, it's very intricate and detailed. So, um, but basically, uh, that was too much detail. But um, basically, when you merge back into your body and your meditation, you're kind of being reborn. You're practicing that rebirth. Uh, now, you can also do that practice uh, at night, like when, so you can see how it's very similar to waking up. So the dream state is very similar to the in-between state um, between, let's say, lifetimes. So it, what you try to do is you become lucid uh, in your, uh, there's a practice, which we'll kind of end maybe with here and see if there's any questions. But you become, you can do practices where you're lucid during your dream state. And then um, what happens is as you wake up, you again, see yourself kind of like I'm in that uh, non-dual state. And at first it can just be an imagination. Like again, it's sort of like imagining, okay, I, I was in the Dharmakaya non-dual state. And then now I'm imagining myself in some astral form, whatever you've chosen. Again, I'll just kind of follow this. Let's say I'm imagining myself as Medicine Buddha, but in a astral body form. And then I see it coming back down into my physical body. And then I wake up as the, uh, as you know, as Medicine Buddha. And then that, that's kind of a, um, a recreation of what rebirth will be like in the physical world. So you're kind of practicing it every night uh, when you wake up. Um, and what's interesting is probably why I'm just like blabbing about this. <laughs> if this sounds really out there is, uh, um, uh, well, a couple of things. It is written down. It's actually, you can find these now in the written form. Usually it would have to be kind of an oral, uh, a teacher would have to, in that tradition, kind of just orally maybe teach it to you. But um, 
is, uh, and we'll talk about this is another kind of same period of the rebirth. And there's literature about people who can remember, uh, you know, rather than remember their near death experience or past lives, they remember right before they were born, like rebirth. And uh, that's something I did have coming into this life. Like I did remember uh, what I could have been in, my, in, in the baby's body or my baby body, or it could have been actually pre, uh, you know, birth. But I did have memories before I became conscious into this life. Uh, and I was with some kind of guide. There wasn't a form. And then uh, some memories of that. And then I remember becoming conscious of this life. And it was very much like waking up from a dream. I mean, it was just like similar to waking up from a dream. So maybe that's why I've really gravitated to these um, Bardo teachings and, um, and particularly the dream and sleep yoga. Because, and the thing that pulled me, like, you know, how you wake up slowly and then like, oh, I'm, I'm awake, you know, like, let's say this morning. Uh, it was exactly the same way. And the thing that kept waking me up was I kept saying, oh, like, as if it was a dream. Oh, this woman, she's so beautiful. She's so beautiful. And then when I woke up, that was my mother. <laughs> that was my mother's face. And then I was in this life and, you know, I was, I remember that. So, so it's very, um, now that I found those practices, it makes a lot of sense. So you can kind of practice for your next, it's sort of like we're doing those practices so we kind of can do it consciously for whatever, if you choose to get reborn again. Anyways, uh, maybe we'll take a, you can uh, see if there's any questions or take a pause here, sort of in uh, filling your ears <laughs> space. We'll start with Olivia. I think you're muted. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, a question about entity attachments. Um, I do a lot of energy clearings. So could you tell me the difference between um, helping a soul and doing a clearing and an entity removes is removed? What is the difference between that and who helps them? Because I'm running the Arcturian frequencies and they're being, you know, they are leaving. Um, mm -hmm. I had my own entity attachment and, and having an Arcturian clearing, mm -hmm. it was able to be removed. And I've also been helping others with that. So what's the difference between helping the soul um, detach and then sent over to where it needs to go and then helping the physical, the person in the physical, can you clarify for me? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what I was explaining was the, the shamanic practices to do that. And then there's like the Arcturian version, which is the Arcturian entity clearing version. So mm -hmm. I just wait, the shamanic way is um, the shamanic practitioner would have to be able to, uh, and this is only a unique case of entities, meaning an, uh, the definition of the entity being a former incarnated human soul. Okay. All kind of other entities like um, non-human entities and um, you know uh, astral fragments and so forth. But that's not what the, sh the shamanic practice is talking about. They're only talking about um, a former human soul who's become attached. And then in that case, you have to disattach that soul from the, the, in the human being who's there and in the physical, and then be able to soul conduct the that soul that attached, and then you kind of do some healing on the person who came to you. Now, when you do the Arcturian healing method, um, entity clearing protocol, the Arcturians will do all of that 
for you when you're channeling the, that frequency. Yeah. yeah. I was a little worried about that. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I was dying to ask you because I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I thought that they took care of it and I didn't have to do anything. I want to make sure that they're going to the right place. Um, and I'm really not drawn to the shamanic way. I, I really like the Octurians doing the job. Uh -huh. um, so, uh, but thank you for clarifying. I really appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the question. Yeah. And uh, Anne, and then we'll go to Dale. Oh, I think you're, uh, you might be muted. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. I, I actually want to ask two questions. Um, you've given so much material that I uh, truly, <laughs> I'm having a hard time keeping up. <laughs> but it's fascinating. And um, I had heard, and I don't know where I read this, but I had heard that sometimes when a person reincarnates that um, they come back as the next child born in a family. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, that is very, uh, this is very possible. And I think, um, you know, uh, a clairvoyant can tune in um, to, to see if the, the soul is going to, you know, uh, what the likelihood of the soul will be uh, to choose to reincarnate into the family. Um, uh, so for example, I'll just give you some examples. Uh, I'll just draw more just what's coming to mind. Like in, the, in that Tibetan tradition uh, with the Tolkus, uh, they will, before they leave one incarnation, like they know they're in the dying bardo, meaning they're, they're ready to go. They'll already say, like, look for me over on this side of Tibet, because I'm already I'm already know I'm going to go over there. So they're all their cycles, and they just tell their students, like, just look for me over there, and uh, and that's usually where they find the next incarnation. Um, so so it's going to answer your question. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, the other the other one was having to do with the Arcturians. Aren't they the keepers of the Akashi records? Is this true? Um, yeah, they, they may. Um, I don't. I don't know. I'm not sure if they are the the keep like the only ones. But okay. uh, there is an. I, I was sort of in, uh, given or intuited uh, an, uh, an Arcturian healing frequency to access the Akashic records through the Arcturians and Metatron as keepers. Yeah. But I think there are. Well, guides um, or Akashic record guardians. And then, um, but I'm sure it's like a combination of um, very high ascended masters and beings who are kind of um, facilitating the Akashic records. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that's it for now. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. And uh, to uh, Dave. Hi, <clears throat> so, Hi, hi everybody, hi Jean. Uh, so I, I took, I, I had to take this because I think I, I told you in a previous class that I had reread the Tibetan book of, um, I did the one living and dying because I just had it. Yeah, right, right. And it scared the crap out of me. So it's like, oh my God, I'm gonna miss that state and I'm gonna be sucked back into, into the you know, unconscious reincarnation. So uh, anyway, um, so a couple questions around that. Well, one is like kind of just a curiosity question. Like if someone is in um, 
obsessed with someone, let's say in, in life, you know, when they die, can they actually, you know, become possessed by this person who just won't let go of that person? Is, is that a possibility? I mean, I, you know, not that that's, I haven't even liked that, but you know, I was just curious. And the other question was like, I, 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 you know, my meditation practice is really only been faithful every day for like about a year. Like it's really been spotty and I'm kind of getting old and I call it my sitting and thinking practice <laughs> because I, again, you know, I don't know how, you know, I, it's very difficult. So am I doomed? <laughs> I guess it's my question. Maybe I should do more practicing in the, in the sleep, uh, yoga and stuff, you know, because, um, and lucid dreaming, because I'm feeling like, man, I don't really experience a lot of that feeling of the non-duality, you know, and even, you know, going above, it's always kind of very, you know, very difficult for, you know, I, I'm getting maybe little tiny glimpses, but it, within a group practice, I feel it more than by myself, but by myself, like I said, it's my thing, you know, I have my, my phone set and it's like, ding, and it's like, oh, damn, right, right, I'm supposed to be meditating, <laughs> I'm like off doing the laundry or something, so, um, <laughs> so I'm getting worried, anyway, so, um, so those are my two questions, thanks. Uh, oh, thanks, thanks for those, those are great points uh, to unpack, uh, so, so to the first one, uh, it is possible, but what might happen, and, and this is what uh, Daskla said, um, and this is stuff we can work on ourselves. Of course, we can help people first and then and then see it ourselves. It's like, yeah, let's say you're someone's really attached to someone, almost to the, you can can kind of feel it's like a, almost um, a little bit, you know, getting <laughs> overboard. Uh, most likely what will happen is at some stage of their, what's called the astral unraveling or when they're in the astral world, uh, after they've left their physical body, they'll kind of just meet that thought form of the person. Like they kind of live with that person, but it's a thought form of the person and they'll kind of interact and kind of, they'll kind of work through that and then get, then realize that either, oh, this is just my thought form or my kind of um, propensities and then they move on. Um, that probably happens more likely than the attachment to the person. Okay. Um, it's always a possibility. You can always like check it out, but I, I would say that would be, that's why, um, so why am I bringing that up and spending a little time on that, which we can go over in more in depth is um, those kind of things, like that might be a person, but it might be to chocolate or it might be to some, those things where we're kind of overly, those are the things that if we can let go of those now, then, then it's, it's much easier in the in-between that period. Okay. Yeah, the practice thing is really interesting and really, uh, and just to go directly to answer your question, uh, no, everything you've done in your meditation is going to like be like a million times uh, payoff. Because okay. I'll say what the kind of literature says and then my own experience. So because we're like in our dense physical, we tend to think like, like when we do a meditation practice or let's say you're given like some kind of very intricate like in some of the Tibetans that sadhanas, they're kind of these intricate visualizations. You're like, I don't know, and I'm getting sleepy anyway. <laughs> you know, like in the first. Uh, but the thing is, is that because when you're out of body, you're a hundred times, and this is metaphoric, it could even be more, more psychic and more intelligent. Anything you did as a practice in consciousness will like, all of a sudden you're like super expert. So it's all going to huh. pay. Yeah. Okay. Like all if right, you, good. Yeah. 
So it's all going to pay off. And the reason I know that, or um, where I feel that that's really beneficial in this world, I'm emphasizing here, any kind of conscious practice people are doing now, even if you think like you're the, the worst of the worst, uh, I would continue to do it because it will pay off. And of course, you will get better here in the physical body. But just to say, so there was this one practice. Um, it does have something to do. It's very shamanic, but it's a Tibetan practice that I was drawn to. It's called Cho. Uh, it's D-H-O-D. Anyways, in this practice, it's kind of a very, it's a way to develop your compassion, but in a, what they call a very wrathful way, meaning you basically imagine yourself, you eject yourself out of your consciousness, you cut up your body, you cut up all the parts of your body. It's like a, it's like a shamanic deep um, dismemberment. And then you offer it to all the negative spirits and all the enlightened spirits and then all the karmic spirits you're connected to. Anyways, that's the practice. I was like drawn to that. Don't ask me why. <laughs> I found a sadhana. And you're supposed to be initiated, so I should I could be getting into the deep waters here. But anyways, I found a practice. I ordered it, and and I did it once. And then in my dream state, I was being chased by some demonic being, and I remembered that entire practice and did it, and like and it uh, and it all vanished. So just that. I'm like in the dream state. So that's what, so the point here is that I recognize, yes, what they're saying is true. Like uh, if even whatever you're doing in the physical body, it may feel heavy, may feel like opaque, but in the, in, in the dream state, in the in-between state, it'll just, you'll be like, everything pays off like a hundredfold or, or like a million, million fold. Okay. All right. Good. Thank you. I appreciate that because I am going to continue to do it, but I just feel like, okay, like, but I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. So it's like, okay, how am I going to recognize this state? You know, and I'm, you know, I'm closer to the end and the beginning, you know, of my life. So I, I just had a little concern about that. So anyway, unless I live to be like 130 or whatever. So thanks. So thank you. Gave me hope. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for the question. And uh, we'll go to Teresa, and then maybe we'll, uh, we'll take Sandy's question, and then Stamatis, and then, then we'll take a short break. I think actually Stamatis was before me, actually. Oh, well, okay. We can go to Stamatis and then come back it, to It's uh, okay. It's okay. No, no problem. It's okay. Uh, okay. We'll go to Teresa. Uh, okay. Okay. I'm starting. Uh, I have two questions. Uh, when I'm trying to connect to a, to a dead person, um, first, I'm worrying. Let, let's say I'm trying to to speak to a dead person, uh, to a dead person, especially before the 49 days, and uh, I'm worrying uh, when I'm trying to that when I'm trying to connect uh, with him, to speak with him, to ask him. Etc. I'm I'm going if I'm keeping him uh, or her in the middle world by by this connection, and I'm not uh, I'm and I'm not helping him to to go to the uh, to go to the light or yes. So this is the first question. Yes, it's a it's a good point. Um, so let's say a loved one is passed. But the thing is, um, you they since they can pick up your vibration, you particularly your emotional mental vibration, you want to, if possible, be in a very uh, like positive state. Like uh, think very like of good memories, think of good things, be in a positive or a neutral state. 
so that they don't feel, you know, um, like like um, sad about the connection, if you can. And uh, that that's it. That's it. That will help them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, and the and the second question, the same topic. Um, so when I'm trying to connect uh, with a dead uh, person, how do I know whether if I'm connecting to the to his celestial uh, part, or whether I'm connecting to his ego, ego egoistic uh, lower part, which is in the lower. So how how can I? It's it's two two, two different parts. I'll I always want to connect to the celestial part of the dead. But uh, how can I do this? <laughs> yeah, I would just keep it simple. You know, just just connect, or you could just make the intention. I'm connecting to the highest aspect of uh, my brother, who you know, whoever it might be, and that's enough. Yeah, you don't have to figure it all out. You just kind of wow. keep it love, keep it from your heart, and keep it positive, and and it, it will. Uh, uh, we don't realize how sensitive they are. They they they. They will get it more than we will notice. <laughs> ah, yes. Oh, I think you muted yourself. I think you. Okay. Okay. So I can say I'm connecting to the higher self of the dead. It's it's enough. This. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, and I could share other stories of why I say that, but uh, maybe just for time's sake, maybe when we come back. But uh, uh, Teresa, um, sorry. Yes, the last. This was fantastic, Jean. <laughs> Finally got the whole picture. Like yes, I, I was figuring out some of these pieces already. So now I, I'm putting things together in ways I didn't. So that was just fantastic and beautiful and great. Um, the lost souls thing, uh, is. It's some can people make use of your you said I think that people can make use of your services without you actually being conscious of it right? oh, yeah. uh -huh. yes, um, yes. and is it is it uh, and then sometimes then we are going to potentially be learning practices for being conscious and doing that I'm assuming yep oh definitely. yeah you will learn soul conduction in the in the death dying after that. like okay. you'll know all the details uh -huh. okay very all good sorry what Yes, you'll, you'll learn all the steps to do it. Okay. The question that I had too is like, is it possible because I I was wondering, you know, because I, I had to do so much work to not be sort of tired. You know, I think that because I dealt with so many souls, do you know what I mean? I wonder if they were just unconsciously using a lot, you know, like that happened in the, there was one, uh, I don't remember the entire situation, but there was, the, there was this big wave that went over Japan and then like a whole bunch of people People died or maybe it was a new I don't know something happened over there and at that time like me and all my friends were like super tired super tired for days weeks I remember being tired I'm like what and then finally one of the healer people said it was probably because there was a lot of souls needing to depart at the same time and just kind of made use of anybody that was available essentially mm. so I was wondering if what practices to do to actually not be so tired <laughs> you know so hope we can speak to that at some point Oh yeah, yeah. No, no, it's a great, it's a great point you just uh, brought up, and you know, I, I, I mentioned those books by Penny Pierce, um, like a like Leap of Perception or 
uh, frequency and she's also just like you like very intuitive and um, like when uh, she was mentioning when I guess TWA had a flight out of New York that um, you know exploded or something but like uh, like um, 12 hours beforehand up to the explosion uh, she couldn't stay awake she was supposed to teach a class I mean like exactly what you're saying like well, some people um, are called to do that work and are very sensitive. Uh, I think as we're doing the shamanic training, uh, you will learn like when you're connecting with the guides, they'll give you ways to also shield yourself, to protect your energy and still be in service. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always thought it was like to be your bright light and then, then you know, the more, the more, you know, then you don't need a shield maybe because you're just emanating brightness. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe shield was the wrong way. They'll they'll kind of in um, yeah nourish uh, your system. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The um, thing because because <clears throat> I was just wondering, like I usually do my healing vortex for the whole day, but then at night <laughs> I try to do the other one, <laughs> the Raphael one, the teaching one. That's the night school thing, you know. But then then if these people are coming at night, I don't <laughs> I don't know how to do the both at the same time. Or maybe I don't know. Maybe I'll just have to just count on my team to just sort of make that happen is that because I do a lot of nightly work with healing things not under any of my control I'm not doing any lucid dreaming or anything I would, maybe if I learned that that would help actually mm -hmm. uh, yeah it's just uh, we'll go more into detail with that but what you can okay. do is before you fall asleep just set the intention with your guides what you'd like like if you don't want to do healing that evening or if you would like to be nourished while you're before you return from any extensive healing work uh, just set that intention with your guides who, whoever you open the vortex with okay great and what was the last name of that dorothy dorothy you mentioned some a woman with a book um oh yes um dolores cannon i'll put i'll put it in the chat for people okay thank you very much yeah and I'll, I'll find the exact title, particularly of that three waves of volunteers. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Appreciate that. And uh, Sandy? Hi, Jean. Hello, everyone. And uh, there was a lot of information as, and of course, some of them open more things, but there's little details. Sometimes I get stuck in details and I just wanna ask and get it over with. 49 days of period waiting. Why 49? Mm -hmm. Um, so this could be a symbolic number, of course, as, uh, time in our world is different than our linear space-time, but it is, uh, it is a helpful way to, to use if you're still in the physical to help people who are in the non-physical. So supposedly every seven days, the bar, they call it the bardo being, that's the, the consciousness that's in the in-between state, will, uh, there's an opportunity for that being to take rebirth. Now that could be in again all those different realms. It could be in a human incarnation again, or even maybe an animal incarnation or, or an incarnation. And it does go through the death process again. Whatever, however they died, they kind of will go through it again if they don't um, find that next rebirth. So um, and then so there's seven opportunities for that before they finally take another rebirth. So if you, if you, like if they're very into the Tibetan tradition, and of course they have a lot of extensive um, death rituals, but people could follow this 
and do their own rituals because you know connections meaning to the those who have passed on the seventh day from when they physically passed that's a special day to do something any of those days are good but they usually will do like extra pujas or extra rituals on the seventh day um and so that that that's kind of where that that day that those numbers come from okay i been um i am an usher on time to time and they come to me so um and a friend of mine and it was on, only you know i know for my, for example to wait three days for them to be awakened and make sure that it's going kosher and they don't even know where the heck they're going but it came to a point that he was lost in the astral and i didn't know this just happens that i and i saw him crying and of course and i said what's going on and this is while i'm working you know and, and i but my mind is going up there so i finally now listening to you it was in the astral and um he said i need to uh, you know and i said do you know where to go and i just was pointing to the pillars of light you know just go that way so he took his little backpack and said thank you and he walked away so now i'm thinking maybe it wasn't his time to go it wasn't 49 days yet for him to go there he was should have just stay in the limbo a little bit longer or not limbo but trying to settle face this 49 days so um I don't know, did I do wrong? <laughs> you know, but I, 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 and at the end, I said, your guide, you find answers to all your questions, go that way. So mm -hmm. couldn't have done any harm, right? Uh, no, no, no. And I'll just say something here and uh, then we can uh, take the break, but may also help. Um, so I'm, I'll try to clarify because I'm, I'm sharing a lot of different frameworks. Yes. And kind of match and some just realize they're different traditions and of course they're different ways of thinking. They're like software. They're not necessarily hardware. So the, the 49 days is the Tibetan view. And then the, the, the lost in the middle world is the shamanic view. You could be in the 40, the bardo being could be in the 49 days, but not necessarily be in the middle world. They're actually, uh, in, they're actually in the upper realms. They're, they're doing fine. Uh, so the, the, because you're in the 49 days waiting to get reborn doesn't mean you're lost in the middle world. If that makes Thank sense. You. That really, that solved the whole thing. Thank you. That's it. And, and last one before we go about the three mix, uh, mixings technique that you were talking about. So oh, yeah. once you, I just want to question, once you finally merge and reborn, you're reborn with Buddha, does it mean that you, that that's, you take on some of the Buddha's, um, I don't know. Well, qualities yeah yeah exactly. yeah that would be why um like uh, like when you like you wake up or, or, or um yes so there's there's three mixings and three times the one the two that i mentioned was the meditation time you know where you're in the non-dual then you're in that astral form and then you before you step out of your meditation you embody the let's say the medicine buddha the the next time that you do those three mixings you can do it when, during sleep so like you're sleeping, you get into that non-dual state, then right before you get up, you just imagine yourself again in the Buddha form, let's say your practice is medicine Buddha, and then you imagine it kind of merging into your body, maybe from the crown up, and then you wake up and now you're Sandy medicine Buddha. <laughs> yes, you will be have those qualities, you know, healing abilities. And then the third time is actually in the actual in between when you've passed you'll see be in the non-dual state and you've kind of done it some like all those thousands of times in meditation and in your previous incarnation at sleep 
then you'll see, um, uh, then you'll imagine yourself in your perfect astral form, let's say Medicine Buddha. And then you'll be like, oh, that incarnation, I could be really helpful. I get a lot of resources, great parents, have lots of pets. <laughs> then you're in, you're in the womb. <laughs> so, yeah. That's a... But that's that's the, the highly esoteric practice. <laughs> there is. Thank you for the clarification. I'm good now. Yes. Some uh, they say you know they have these stories where certain um, uh, beings are reborn and, and they they say um, they're saying mantras as babies like they come right out of the womb like and say Oh Mani Padme Hum or something because they're they're like in they're just repeating those in the in, in the inner realm. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, we'll take a short break here. We'll come back. Uh, we'll just take a 10 minute break. Come back at uh, 47 minutes after the hour. Okay, see you soon. Yeah, so just in case you were like that nine mixings, in <laughs> this is the book where you can find it. It's called The Clear Light of Bliss. Uh, by uh, Geshe Kelsen Gatso. So this is kind of very, uh, um, you know, like deeper, I guess, uh, Buddhist Tantra teachings. But the chapter is called The Nine Mixings and the Two Mudras on page 109. But I'll put in the, um, it, some people might be interested in it. Um, And then um, the other book that might be of interest, this fair, I, I might have mentioned this in another class last year, but it's called The Cosmic Cradle. And this is uh, Spiritual Dimensions of Life Before Birth. So this is like um, all the more research on um, uh, uh, people uh, and mostly children who've remembered um, memories right before they've come in. So it's kind of uh, um, very interesting and just resonated a lot with that experience that I had um, shared. Uh, the Clear Light is by, yes, uh, let me put the... Yes, Geshe Kelsan Gatso. Uh, it, it is probably in other um, tantric Tibetan uh, manuals, but he writes very clearly. That's the most clear explanation I've seen of it, the nine mixings. Okay, uh, so I wanted to, let's see, there are a lot of kind of a couple places we can go, but uh, yeah, let me try to flesh out um, since it's, um, we kind of have been focusing on the bardos, we kind of have, uh, you know, used the framework a bit to explain mostly the bardos, um, uh, of death, meaning like uh, the dying uh, in between and then the rebirth. So uh, I'll say a couple of things about the other three bardos, uh, also trying to keep it very practical and things you can do to practice those states. And maybe the most practical part here, uh, which I presented in the sleep and dream yogas, but maybe you can integrate it a bit in the entire framework of the six bardos. Uh, so there's uh, is uh, these practices on sleep and dream yoga, and where they sort of fit 
why they kind of fit into um, into the entire six uh, frame, six Bardo framework. So the um, like I mentioned, the most the thing about sleep and dreams and why they're probably separated out as a, as Bardos is they're great places to practice becoming conscious in the um, both the in between Bardo that means in between lifetimes and then the uh, Bardo of Dharmata, which is your consciousness hasn't quite left the physical body, uh, but you get that non-dual awakened state of consciousness. And so you can basically become uh, uh, awakened or enlightened or accelerate your consciousness if you can stay aware during that period of the Bardo of Dharmata, that's what they label it, or they call it the clear light of death. Now, so how, how do you do that is to recognize that you are actually, that that state is occurring. And so your meditation practice, as well as your, particularly the sleep yoga practice, is a, a chance to sort of recognize that particular state of consciousness. And so those are all practice periods. And then so when it comes, uh, it's a bit like um, if someone, uh, like during your lifetime, points out what red looks like. And then during the time of the bardo of Dharmata, metaphorically, uh, red will appear. So if you've seen red before, then when it appears again during that period, you'll be like, oh, I, I, I know what I'm seeing now. I'm seeing red. And then you can uh, metaphorically stay there for as long as you like. Uh, so there have been, just to give some you know uh, interesting facts around this, they call it tukdom. I'll put it in the chat. Uh, I think, I'm not sure, I'm, I have to look that up, uh, the spelling. But uh, this is where um, like certain yogis will be, uh, they've clinically are dead, but they um, are not decomposing. And they sometimes are seated in meditation position. A lot of uh, Tibetan yogis um, have been reported. And there was a very recent one where uh, I looked it up yesterday so that um, I could post it. I'll, uh, maybe I'll post it later. Uh, but uh, he was in Taiwan and he was in this Tukdom state for I, I believe 28 days. So his body wasn't decomposing. And uh, just to like, um, and they're basically staying in that clear light of death or the Bardo of Dharmata and they're not moving from there. Uh, but then they do eventually move out of that state. And it's uh, partly they, they will do that to demonstrate to those who they are connected to, you know, that consciousness does continue, that you can do that. Uh, and then they kind of leave uh, that state. But um, if you've heard of that, and the Dalai Lama has been wanting to get um, scientists to study uh, these yogis when they're in that state. So I think they actually did a fairly large study on him scientifically because he was there for so long and, and recently, I think it was like last summer that he uh, was in the state. Um, anyway, so I'll have to uh, spend a little time, maybe I'll put it into an email and send it to everyone, uh, that, um, that link. Uh, anyways, uh, so that's the Bard of Dharmata. Now, um, so back to kind of these practices. So to go over these other two Bardo states, so when you're in the dream state, you're, it's very similar to the bardo of the in-between. And if you, the idea is if you can become lucid in your dream state, uh, they say metaphorically seven times, 
then you'll be able to become lucid in the in-between state. And uh, I know some people have um, taken that class or we've done that class together. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll, I will send a follow-up email because there's some of these resources. So there's a link to a free uh, class that I did on the um, sleep and dream yogas. So people wanted to look at that. And, but I'm gonna, um, we're gonna go over the technique here. But um, so basically you learn to just, uh, it, you're working with your energy channels and prana and before you fall asleep and uh, with practice, you can become awake or aware that you're uh, dreaming uh, and still stay in the dream. And of course, that's a very interesting phenomenon. You can do things in your dream, but the real reason, uh, and not the real reason, but the greater reason is so that when you are, um, are in the in-between, you can recognize that you're in the in-between and then take conscious control sort of over your, your rebirth or where you wanna go next. Uh, sort of like you wake up, just similar to how you wake up in a, in a dream and, and, but stay in the dream state. So the practice for that is you, is your throat chakra. So before you fall asleep, you imagine like a red marble of light at your throat chakra. The ideal place is to see it inside the central channel. So inside your central channel. And uh, you see it brightly, you just focus on that uh, and then fall asleep as you're focusing on that. And what that's doing is it's bringing the prana or because your awareness there, it's bringing the prana and the chi to your throat center. And that will help you to uh, become lucid uh, during the dream state. Uh, that's the uh, first practice for um, the bardo of dreaming. Then the bardo of sleep, uh, or they call it clear light yoga, is you imagine um, a red marble, of, uh, I'm sorry, a blue marble of light at your heart center. So the heart center uh, is a very important center for the kind of the energetic physiology. And there's been different practices we've covered. Uh, and I'll try to tie those in together. Um, but uh, for this practice, what you do is if you want to become um, lucid during your deep sleep state. So the deep sleep state is where you're not you're not seeing any images. It's a very, uh, it's even deeper than sleep. It's sort of the delta wave. Um, uh, whereas the um, dreaming state is like you're in rapid eye movement. Uh, you're probably in like some type of theta uh, state, alpha theta. Uh, so usually we're totally uh, unconscious during deep sleep, like we're just um, yeah passed out. And uh, but that's the state where you're just uh, you're not seeing any uh, images. You you are in this non-dual state. And uh, like there was um, an Indian state whose name was Ramana Maharshi. He said the only thing that's real is what you see in the deep sleep state. Like basically because that's the most uh, ground state of consciousness. So anything that's what he was trying to refer to is anything that's changing, which is like our physical world, which is what we tend to our physical experience of the uh, or our experience of the physical world, which we tend to think of as what's real. It's a, actually it's always changing. It's uh, ephemeral in the in the largest view. So, um, but anyways, he's kind of referring to the same state of consciousness. So what you do is you imagine a blue marble of light at your heart center before you fall asleep. 
there's all these other uh, you know uh, added practices you can do. Like you can lie on your right side. This is just lying on your right side because your um, stolar channel is on the right side of your central channel, and that tends to be like when you're actively awake. So if you lie on your right side, you kind of close that channel down, and your left channel stays open. Uh, your left channel is more the internalized states, more the um, you know, quiet states. And so, uh, you know, that stays open. But the key point is to imagine that blue marble of light at your heart center, ideally inside the central channel, and then fall asleep. Um, so now there's a little bit more of an extensive practice and um, we probably can't do it here per se. Uh, we will, I, I'll share it here. And then during this four day training, we'll kind of do it almost like as a nap practice. So you can do these as during naps too, which is a very good uh, time to practice um, either the, the throat one or the heart one. Um, uh, were you gonna mention something, Anna, or ask me? Or you just kind of, you were just pointing at the screen? No. Um, what happens when people have a hard time remembering their dreams? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so what you can do is, if you kind of want to make this more of a dedicated practice, um, I would get a, a notebook uh, with a pen and just keep it by your, uh, your bedstand. And then uh, make the intention that you will remember your dreams. Just say that three times before you fall asleep. Then you can focus, let's say, if you're going to do the lucid dreaming practice, focus on the red marble of light. And then as soon as you wake up, the first thing you do is uh, don't move. And before you get up, uh, try to review any part that you can remember, it, but be very still. So you just kind of like go through it again, like a movie, like three times. And then when you get up, you need to immediately write down anything you remember. And it can be even like one word because uh, at first it may just be a trace, uh, but just write down whatever you can remember. And even if it's one word or a couple words, like keywords. Now, over time, what's happening is you're training a certain part of your etheric body uh, that uh, it's, like a, like, it's like a time body actually. And it, um, it allows your, when your astral body comes back into the physical etheric, it, sometimes there's a bridge between your, etheric uh, brain or your brain and your astral body. And what you're doing is you're creating a certain subtle body structure by that helps you to remember your astral travel. So you, so don't expect it just to happen once. It's almost like training a muscle. It, as long as you're making the intention to do it, uh, you'll um, be um, developing that uh, etheric structure. Yeah, thanks. It's, yeah, it's a very, very good um, thing to do, uh, yeah, that practice. So you can think of it as, you know, even years of practice, that's, you know, it's something that develops over time. Um, and just keep it fun and light. So, uh, so back to the, um, so this is very helpful for, the, for getting into the very subtle states of consciousness at death. Um, and then you can practice this with the sleep yoga practice. So I'll go over this because, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it kind of gets deeper into the, the more esoteric uh, consciousness aspects. 
So you could think of uh, the transition from physical incarnation to, let's say, the uh, clear light. This is there's a there's a, a map basically from uh, physical consciousness to the clear light of death, and the Tibetan system has mapped that out into certain stages. So it's kind of good to know what those stages are, and then because you can um, then slow it down, or you can identify when you're in those stages. Plus, you can practice those at night. So first, I'll mention what the stages are. And they're basically called like the eight um, dissolution stages uh, of death or, or dying. And then I'll show you how you can do that um, at night or when you're taking a nap as a practice. So the idea kind of is like, you, you, if you're not aware of these stages, uh, you would just, let's say, begin the death process uh, in your consciousness. And then all of a sudden you go and maybe you hit the, you see the clear light. And then if you don't see the clear light, then you've let, then you leave your physical body and then you're in the in-between. And basically it can be like falling asleep. You just kind of like one, one moment you're awake, next moment you're asleep. And then the next moment you wake up. Like, uh, so mm, I, I'll just say that that could happen. Like you could, Pass from your physical body, go through the in-between, and the next moment you're a baby. <laughs> but that's a little bit of a joke. Uh, so anyways, you're trying to slow all this down so that you're aware of these states. So these eight um, stages of dissolution are actually first, the first four states are linked to the elements. So, um, so first, it's basically the earth element. Uh, dissolves into, so your earthy parts of your body are beginning to kind of close down, like the muscles, uh, you stop moving, you start kind of feeling heavy. So the earth element is first dissolving and it dissolves into the water element. The way I remember this is like when you, like a sand castle, you know, kind of dissolves by the water, the edge of the ocean. So earth dissolves into water. So then now you're in your water element your water element starts to dissolve, meaning things start to dry up, uh, like maybe your mouth gets dry and, or um, all the uh, watery elements in your body begin to dry. And these are all states of consciousness also. Then the water element will dissolve into the fire element. So I kind of see like water puts out fire. That's how I kind of memorize it or remember it. So now the your heat, in your body. So this is that during the, like you're going through the dying process uh, consciously. So now the, um, the heat begins to, you get to start to feel cold. Basically the heat, like uh, your whole body gets cold until it's all at your heart. Um, and those um, yogis who are in that Tuk Dome state, uh, everything is closed down. They don't have a heartbeat anymore. They don't have um, uh, EKG. Uh, but there's a little bit of heat that is actually still present at the heart when they're in that clear light of death. Uh, but anyways, that was just an aside. Uh, so we're now at the, the fire element is beginning to dissolve. So, you know, things are getting cold. And then the fire dissolves into the, they call it wind or air. So you can think of like, you know, um, basically, you know, the fire moving into air. Uh, wind element. So that's when your prana begins to, you're basically in your breathing stops. That's usually the last thing to stop. Uh, sometimes people will go through that kind of heavy labored breathing called the chain stokes breathing uh, before they pass. So anyways, uh, that's part of the prana or air element, wind element. 
And so then that's beginning to dissolve. And then finally, the wind element will dissolve into the space element. So now you're just consciousness, you're just like a conscious consciousness. Um, now, I thought that's sort of uh, five. Now there's, this is in the Tibetan tradition, there's, they've identified three even more subtle states of consciousness after that. And uh, this is linked to certain energies traveling in the central channel. But uh, first, let me just mention what these three subtle states are. So after you're just air, after you're just, uh, so you went to air to space, so you're just consciousness. Then what happens is you enter uh, what they call uh, the red, uh, red increase, I'm sorry, white increase. And so what it looks like is like, you'll see like a, a clear background sort of with a white radiance behind it, like almost like a white sunlight or a white moonlight on a kind of black background. And what's happening is the white element from the center of your head, it's like a white Kundalini drop. It's going down, it's dropping down through your central channel to your heart center. Now, this is just happening energetically, naturally, but what you experience is this uh, white, this very subtle state of consciousness they call the white increase. Then what happens is what you may begin to see is like now, or what they call the red increase, so like from this background, it becomes really bright red, like as if it's like the uh, sunrise on a kind of a black background. And what's happening is your, your kundalini drop in your navel, it's rising also to the heart center uh, through the central channel. So you get this even more subtle state where you see more like red, red on a kind of a clear background like a red hue. Then what happens is those two elements, those two kundalini drops, they combine at your heart center and they form what's called the black, like a black increase. It's like everything just sort of goes like a black background, like a night background, like clear void because it's just black. Uh, you haven't entered the clear light yet, but it's just, that's how it might appear to your consciousness. And what's happening energetically is the, this white drop that descended from your head down the central channel and the red drop, this red energy that ascended up your central channel, it's combining at your heart center and that forms this black, uh, black increase. And then at that point, a lot, even trained yogis, they say who can stay conscious of all these stages, they all, you faint, like you lose consciousness and then you enter the clear light. And the clear light of death is like this very open, expansive um, kind of ground state of, they call it ground luminosity state. So those are the uh, eight stages before you hit clear light. Clear light in this case would be a ninth stage. Yeah. So what, what you're basically, and then the thing is the reincarnation phase actually goes in reverse. So once you know the map, it's like the it's like knowing your scales in music. You kind of first intellectually know them, and then meditatively you can start to get an idea of them. And then what happens is when you choose to reincarnate, you actually go back down through those stages. So you'll go back through the black increased, the white, 
the red, and then you, uh, I'm sorry, the red, then the white, then you go through space, back to the air element, uh, back to the fire element, back to the water element, to earth element, and then you're reborn. Um, so actually you're reborn into the astral world at that point. So it's kind of like you can go back and forth into these uh, different states. Now, uh, so why did I bring this up? Uh, one thing is um, meditatively you can practice. They have these different um, visions that you get when each of those things are dissolving. But what is more helpful that I found um, and that I tend to practice more is if you do the sleep yoga, you can you can practice this map during right before you fall asleep. And so maybe I'll just map this out as a practice um, and how you do that. So I mentioned in the sleep yoga, you you just go, you just focus on that blue marble of light at your heart. And then you just keep focusing on that and you fall asleep. And that will help you to become aware during deep sleep, which is this very similar, deep sleep is very similar to the bardo of Dharmata. It's sort of, they call it the clear light of sleep. And then the bardo of Dharmata is called the clear light of death. So you kind of um, are practicing this awakened state, uh, recognizing this awakened state of consciousness that we all have. They call it your Buddha nature in a sense. Like when they say you have the Buddha nature, what it's really referring to is this: these states of consciousness that we all have, but we just might not be aware of them. They're kind of clouded over by our own thoughts, feelings, and emotions, for example. Now, the way to practice that whole map is uh, you focus on your heart, and you imagine it, uh, let me just, I usually used to pull this out a lot. Uh, yes. So you imagine your heart like a disc here, like that. And uh, you, so the, in the middle of your heart chakra in the central channel is the red, uh, is the blue dot, is the blue, um, let's say, uh, that blue marble of light. But then you have four marbles of light around it. And that's how, and I'll just, that's how you focus on the dissolution of the elements. So let's say you start here at the top and you imagine a yellow marble of light. So I'll just put out the marbles first. So this yellow marble of light is the earth element. And then you move to the right side. Uh, you say, I'm just gonna pull this off my chest. So the right side here, you imagine a blue marble of light, and that's the water element. And then down at the six o'clock position, uh, sort of between your heart and your solar plexus, or maybe it's even close to your solar plexus, you imagine a red marble of light, that's the fire element. And then when you get to the left side, it's kind of that's like, um, you know, this is so the left side here. Uh, that's a green, uh, green marble of light that's representing the wind element. And then, and, and uh, the thing is, if the colors start to be, if it, like you're, like, let's say it's too many details, you could just imagine these locations. That's enough. And uh, like what the element is. And if the element thing is too much, I'll mention, you could just imagine this kinesthetically. Um, anyways, so, but I'll just fill in all the details right now and then we'll go over how you do the practice. 
then when you move to the center, you have entered um, the blue marble of light, which you could represent as that space element. Or now you're at the blue marble of light, which originally I said you could just go directly to when you want to do uh, sleep yoga. Uh, okay, and then those three subtle states of consciousness, sometimes like in on a practical level, you can just remember that after the space element, you go through the you know, the white increase during death, then the red increase, then the black near attainment, and then you're in the clear light. But really on a practical level, once you've dropped into the center and the blue marble in the center, just fall asleep. Like you just wanna be, just stay there in that kind of pure awareness state. So the way the practice goes is you start here at the top at that um, yellow marble of light, and you just slowly go around, you know, you move so that yellow marble, the earth element is dissolving into the blue marble here on the right side, which is the water element. And then you slowly move your awareness down to the um, red marble of light. And that's now dissolving into the fire element. And then you slowly move up here to the green marble. And that's the um, air or wind element. And then you just move your consciousness into the center and that's the space element. And then you just fall asleep. So what this has done is it's given you almost like a coat hanger or, or like a ladder. So like, for example, the other way to fall asleep is unconsciously. So I just get in my bed, I close my eyes and boom, I'm I could just wake up next morning, but uh, definitely I've just dropped like almost like a slide. I've just slid from being awake to deep sleep. And what this does on in a meditative way is you kind of are slowing yourself down. So as you're getting more and more drowsy, you're keeping your awareness because you have somewhere to like put your awareness on, on these different marbles. Finally, you go to the center and then you just sort of can stay aware and you're uh, probably already in the clear light of sleep. And so that's what this does. So if you follow the colors, great. If you can follow the, you know, what this color means, like it's earth element going to water element, great. But if you just do it um, kinesthetically, like you just start here at the top of this kind of thing on your heart and start moving down to the right and sort of around down to the bottom, over to the left, and then finally come into the center so that you slow your sleeping, uh, you know, you're falling asleep process down. Then by the time you're here at the center, you're like in this in-between sleep and awake state, and then just, just stay there. And that's the practice that will get you kind of this imprint when you actually do um, pass from your physical body, you'll be able to slow it down and sort of um, kind of come to your, you know, just focus on your heart and then you'll, you'll become aware of those different stages. And that's all you need to do is, is, is like kind of almost like stay aware during that. And so here you're practicing it uh, each time you fall asleep. Anyways, that's the sleep yoga practice. Uh, maybe I'll just pause here. Any, any questions up, up to there? Uh, yeah, uh, we'll go to Dale and then to Steve. Um, 
So are the blues two different color blues? Because there's two blue marbles. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, just in case people wanted to know where that practice came from, it came from this book, the Dream Yoga. Okay. Uh, it is the two blues. They, they, they are basically the same color, kind of colored blues. Okay. Cause, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. All right. If I'm visualizing, I'm like, all right. I, I thought at first you made a mistake, but he said blue, but that's blue at the middle. But yeah, okay. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. And uh, Steve? Hello, Gene. Hello, everybody. Um, Gene, um, you had mentioned Samuel Sagan earlier, something about a class you said you put in this chat here. I was at a class or a book you said, Death and Dying? Oh, uh, yeah. Let me, uh, yeah, thank you. No, thank you. That's what I wanted to Yes. Thank you. Uh, it's a, a knowledge track. It's a bunch. It's a. It's a number yeah. of. I know what they are. I saw them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Put it here in the chat if people want to check. Yes. That. I just want to make sure that that's what I thought it was. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we'll go to Teresa and then to Anna. So just a quick question. So the um, the uh, inner temp you can do the same thing and then but at the red and the white then would come together then in the middle so that you're basically at the black then in the very middle where by the center altar the right I mean that's interesting um right. I never thought about that but you, that is that is something you could you could do in the inner temple yes okay. that's a very similar practice yeah cool. <laughs> and uh, and Yes, um, so this would really facilitate uh, dying if we're conscious of the fact that we're going to die. Um, that's what it seems like. But um, I have another question. Um, when, you, when you reincarnate, it's part of your soul still in other worlds? Yes. Uh, this is a great question. Um, the the literature, the place I've seen a framework for that um, has been Michael Newton's work, and when mm -hmm. he expressed people. And the idea is that that framework, and there's probably other ones, is that, um, and there's probably a theosophical framework also that's very similar to this, is that a portion of your, let's say you have your soul in the inner world, let's say it's a hundred percent soul energy. So like, like I've taken an incarnation here. The, the soul doesn't give 100% down to this incarnation. It will give a certain percentage. And that's what uh, when Michael Newton regressed um, people in the in-between, that's the framework they said. And in fact, if I remember right, the more advanced the soul is, the less percentage it gives down for an incarnation because it can handle, like it can do the things it needs to do with less percentage. So that means my higher soul could also be, um, first it's in the inner world, uh, even if I'm here, um, so-called. And it could also send some other soul energy to another incarnation. Uh, so I could have like, that's where these uh, parallel lives we might be talking about. From a soul level, it's parallel because, um, and so I could have another part of my soul energy in another incarnation, whether it's incarnated in, in a 
here in the physical human uh, earth form or another dimension. Wow. I have that book by Michael Newton in Spanish. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I think that's the most interesting framework uh, on that that I found. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. And uh, we'll go to Dale. Hi, sorry. I, I remembered something else I wanted to ask you. Um, so, how long? Because, you know, I, if I went around once, I would not be ready to be go to sleep. I mean, it depends, like if, because a lot of times I'll read to kind of settle down a little at night. So how long do you focus? And if you're not asleep, do you keep going around? Do you feel like you're falling asleep? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. And, and we'll kind of do this practice, uh, you know, in when we have uh, tomorrow, like as a, as oh, okay. a practice. But okay. um, yes. When, just so people can do this here, like tonight. And of course, this is something you want to do as many times, like it just for you know, just keep it fun and light. Um, but um, uh, as soon as you go around and you can, you can either try to feel the energy, like there is an energy that will kind of pull you to the next one. Uh, you know, maybe spend like, could be like two minutes, I, I feel it more rather than I'm here and then I'm here and then I'm here. It's more like fluid. And then by the time you get to the center, regardless if you feel you're still wide awake or you're semi-sleep already, it ends at the center, meaning you fall asleep at the center. So once you get to the center, just uh, stay there and, and kind of just be aware and fall asleep. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you get there quick, no problem. Uh, if you get there slowly, uh, no problem. If you don't get there and you fall asleep, no problem. Because <laughs> any attempt to slow the process down is helping build the structure rather than the quick slide uh, into unconscious sleep. Mm -hmm. And if that's a little bit too much, this whole going around and mapping, you know, you just focus on the, the blue, just go directly to the blue marble. Uh -huh. And the other thing about these practices is a lot of times we're just physically tired, you know, from the day. So the best time to practice is you can practice like when you first fall asleep, but sometimes if you, they found like with lucid dreaming, and this is recent research by um, Stephen LaBerge who came out, who had a dream, a sleep lab at Stanford. And he had some really good books on lucid dreaming and has studied the Tibetan uh, tradition, but wrote it from more a lay person's, uh, not a lay person's, but um, let's say non-sectarian, a non-cultural um, position. Uh, he came up with this, um, I believe he, if you look it up on the internet, the protocol is called, uh, it might be called BOLD, B-O-L-D, all in caps. But he, he did a research study and the best time to do your lucid dreaming practice is in the early dawn, like if you sleep a normal cycle. So you've slept and then you wake up or he even had people wake themselves up two to three hours before they usually wake up. That may or may not work for you because then you, know, you may not be as physically uh, rested. But if you do that, what you do is you wake up, you uh, read in bed or something for half an hour, usually uh, lucid dreaming books really help. Then do this practice, whatever it is, either the throat or the heart. And like, like I don't know, like uh, 
200 to 300% more people will get um, lucid dreams at that point. And uh, a lot of it has to do, or a portion has to do with just having been rested. So, um, but uh, yeah, so, so that's actually the best time. So if you also naturally wake up, you know, before in the middle of the night or kind of um, a couple hours before you go to sleep, uh, before you wake up normally, then that's a good time to do your, um, this, these practices. Uh, yeah, we'll kind of get, um, if anyone has any other questions, um, feel free or, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, Stamatis. For a dead person, um, especially before the 49, 49 days, uh, does it make sense, for example, to send him Arcturian healing light or uh, Arcturian dimensional breeze? Does uh, this may help him to go to the higher uh, realms? Yes, most definitely. Uh, there was a series of uh, even um, uh, death frequencies. Uh, but just to say, um, yeah, Arcturian dimensional bridge, Arcturian healing light, both uh, pre-passing, uh, uh, during the passing, and after they've passed, uh, you can channel uh, them. You can ask their higher self to be in the Arcturian healing vortex, and then those guides will help them at any of those periods. So pre before they've left, uh, during the death process, and after they've left. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Very helpful uh, to do. Uh, even after they've left their body, um, they, uh, souls can uh, may need healing and can receive the healing because you're telepathic. You just um, connect to them like a distance healing. Okay, thank you. Yeah. And uh, maybe the last thing I'll just mention here um, before we kind of close out is... Um, <laughs> There's a practice, a little bit like, uh, you know, this kind of clear light um, uh, sleep yoga practice, that's, that's ideal conditions. You know, like um, I tend to do this now before I fall asleep. I even will imagine like, okay, this is it. This is my time. <laughs> I'm going. Uh, and wow, what, what great uh, conditions, you know, if you can have the conditions like you're falling asleep when you pass, that that. That's like the most ideal thing. Now, we may not all have that ideal situation. So I just wanted to mention a couple, uh, you know, if, if there isn't an ideal condition, just starting with ourselves. So like the most uh, extreme would be like an accident. So all of a sudden, you know, we're, we are taken out of our physical body or, and so forth. Um, so the best thing to do, and I may have shared this in other classes is you just immediately focus on your crown or slightly above your crown because where your consciousness ideally wants to exit is out the crown. So, you know, if that happens, you just focus on your crown. Now, how can you practice that? Uh, and this is, does also come from the Tibetan tradition uh, is anytime you're um, surprised now, you, you make it a practice that you immediately will focus on your crown. <laughs> And you can say a mantra really quick, like whatever one works for you. Like they say, Om Mani Padme Hum, which is the mantra of the, the, the Buddha of compassion, Avalokitavara. Uh, but it could be any, it could be a prayer, it could be Amen, it could be, you know, Hail Mary, Our Father. I mean, just not the full Our Father or Hail Mary, just the, the word or Christ. You just kind of say that and that 
uh, resonates you there. So like, for example, if you get a, the example that I was given by the teacher was like, if you get a, you're looking at your cell phone bill, you're expecting $98 a month or a cell phone bill of your daughter or whoever it might be. And then boom, it's like $600 and you're like, what? And that, that emotion, when you would go, what? You put your awareness here above your head and go, oh, mani padme hum. <laughs> so stuff like that. That's how you practice that. The other one, which we'll go over in more detail, is called Towa. And um, we may not have a time here to go through that right now, but the idea here is you just want to um, um, imagine like your, your awareness is here at your heart. And then you just imagine your awareness is at the first chakra above your head. And it's just traveling like this direction upwards here. And uh, you can do that with your breath. So you, when you ex, when you breathe in, you focus on your heart. When you exhale, just imagine your awareness is going from your heart to the first chakra above your head. Now, if you're just doing this as a practice during your life, then when you inhale, you bring your awareness back to the heart. Then when you exhale, you imagine from your heart, your awareness goes up to the first chakra above your head. Now, at the time of death, uh, you can just, if you know it's like time to go soon, you may get the signs or just feeling, you just uh, do the same practice, but on the inhale, don't bring your awareness back down. You just inhale, exhale out to the first chakra above your head. Then inhale, just bring your awareness back here, but not bring your awareness down and just exhale out. So you're just kind of almost like running this path, this highway from the heart to above your head. And you're kind of, the idea here is you're just laying imprints so that when you do go unconscious, that's your, your subconscious will take over. And uh, leaving from the crown is, will leave, will bring you to higher realms more directly. So anyways, uh, yeah, we will, I'll, I'll send the email out with, uh, after this with, um, You'll get the recording sent out the same way you got the Zoom, but I'll send uh, some of these resources like that Tukdom article and maybe a couple other books. Anyway, so it was great to uh, be with everyone here and thanks for your great questions and all your great energies. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, hopefully it was helpful and I look forward to seeing you again. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, Jane. Thank, Thank, Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, thank, thank you, you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.